Hey, this is Mike Missanelli, and you're listening to the Feed the Embiid, the number one Sixers podcast in America. Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one. Best big in the league, and it's no debate. Booze from the haters, point him to the exit. I guess every franchise needs its process. Every franchise needs its own process. Coming down the lane, yeah, watch your head, yeah. We post a every game, yeah, get your Kodak. Once he gets you under the basket, you better just pray. Hit you with the jab step, knock down, lock from Ben. Get out the way, and one, let the fans know it. Yeah, homie, let the fans know it. Watch the trailer, the three is going in your eye. If you mess, you better get back. Cause if the bees, there won't be a putback. Keep all that trash out of the paint. Cause the bees will put it back in your face. He's a cold blooded killer, and he take no prisoners. Yeah, dump off from TJ. Call it the feed to a bee. What's going on, everybody? This is the feed to Embiid. I got my, my my guy Brock Landis here, who is fresh off of a a nice lift, a nice afternoon lift. Brock, how are we today? How'd the lift go? I'm doing well. Uh, the lift went well too. Uh, so at, at my university, what you got to do is place a reservation a day or two in advance uh, for a specific section in the gym for a 45 minute lift. Uh, normally, I wouldn't be doing that, but I lost a little bit of weight during the quarantine, so got to make up for it somehow. <laughs> that's that's good stuff right there. So what did yeah. you lift? What would you do? Today, today, I train shoulders. Uh, okay. I'm doing one, one specific muscle each day. Okay. There you go. There you go. I've been I've been playing some MLB the show today. I've been, yeah. uh, you know, I, I've been taking, I've been, I've been sleeping a little late, you know, got doing a little writing. The whole, the whole, the whole thing I got work to catch Round up on. Nine. There we go. There we go. Now we do have um, some stuff to get into here. We're going to have a Sixers update. We're going to bring on uh, the Panda Lines' very own Jason Blevins, our Sixers insider, if you will, um, to discuss some of the discuss some of the um, the uh, you know the 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 moves that are going to be coming soon. Um, and uh, hoodie hoodie underscore Simo, we will answer that question. When Jason comes on, he's running a little late now. So we're going to go on to uh, the Toronto versus Boston series and uh, game seven last night. And, you know, I thought it was a really kind of odd series because, I mean, the first two games you think Boston's running away with it. And game three, they basically had nailed down until Toronto hits the game winner. Um, And then, you know, it's tied 2-2. Boston's up three two. That you know, then the it's three. I thought I felt like the series the Celtics played better overall than the um, you know the, the it was like better overall than than maybe um, you know the, the series would have, would have indicated like like I thought Boston the way that they played should have had it done in like five or six, and the fact that it went seven and it was a close seven. Um, you know, I, I was kind of shocked by, but I thought that Toronto, one thing that they could have done better this series was I thought Nick nurse defensively went way too much with, you know, box and one type defensive coverages and like triangle and twos, you know, I thought, I thought, I thought pretty, pretty soon, you know, Stan and gun is going to bust out like a rhombus and one because <laughs> you're just like, you're like, you're calling these different shapes out and these different yeah. defensive alignments. 
I thought they went too much zone in this series. And I thought maybe I thought they had the versatility to switch a little better than they did. Um, but but it was really, you know, the Boston put it in the hands of the guy who was basically the you know the end one guy, and they went to work and isolated them to death. I thought in the series. Yeah, and the thing with Boston, uh, which I alluded to prior to the series, is their switchability offensively and defensively. They have answers everywhere. Uh, if you're running a two man game, they can switch defenders. There's three or four guys in their lineup that can defend one through five and offensively the same they can attack any position and they were also without Gordon Hayward so offensively they didn't have everything and throughout the first couple of games uh, the Toronto starters outscored Boston starters and that's why I anticipated Toronto would ultimately win this series I figured the first two games were not necessarily a fluke but you have a really bad Pascal game then you have a game that comes down to the officials and then you have a buzzer beater Uh, so I anticipate Toronto ultimately wins this series but what I didn't account for is how versatile Boston is. Now, we could get into whether or not Nick Nurse got outcoached, and, and I would use outcoached loosely. I know, Austin, you probably uh, would say Nick Nurse did get outcoached. Um, but for me, I'm going to be careful with my terminology. And I say that because Pascal Siak, I'm really disappointed in this series. So you take a guy that scores about 23 points a game during the regular season, Uh, On about 19 shots a game, he's shooting 45% and 35.9% on 6.1 threes. So so that's very productive offensively. Now, in this series, he's relegated to just 14.9 points per game, so a big drop-off offensively there. His usage plummets from 27.8 to 21%, so he's not as involved as he was in the regular season. And here's where it gets pretty ugly. While he shot 51.9% from the post, you can't win a series there. So he shot 29.1% on jump shots, which is atrocious. He shot 12.5% on almost five threes a game. I believe that's the lowest three-point percentage registered of a qualifying player. I believe it was over 600 qualifying players in the shot clock era. So he shot horribly from beyond the arc. He, he, he was four of 32 there. He only made four threes. And Rajon Rondo made three more in three less games. Uh, so that's a testament to to how bad Scal was from beyond the arc. Pulling up two of 15 from the field. He missed every single pull-up three. Only 25% on catch-and-shoot threes. And he was a combined four of 24 against Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart. So having considered all series. of that, <laughs> I think because you lose your number one option on offense, I'm not going to blame that on Nick Nurse. I'm not. And and Kyle Lowry stepped up. Fred Van Vliet had a fantastic series. The dude was second most in assist points created, second in, in most three points made in the playoffs, almost 15 more points per game or uh, minutes per game rather than last year's playoff series. He shot 17.3 shots and he shot 40% on them. That was better than he shot in last year's playoff series on far less shooting. And he shot 10 threes a game on 40% shooting there top five in the league in deflections and steals in the playoffs. So Fred Van Vliet, an absolute dog, undrafted, had a fantastic series. Kyle Lowry, he had a great series as well. But because Pascal Siakam was such an offense, not a liability, but but he didn't even show up offensively, it's just going to be tough for, for Toronto to really combat this Boston team when they've got guys that are just firing away off the wings and guards that can just attack downhill. Yeah, and I well, 
I thought I thought like one thing that Nick Nurse kind of was not great with this series was number one, like he didn't empower Marcus Soul to be like a better offensive player at all in the series. Like a lot of it was Gasol lost confidence in his in his ability to score, or like he just wasn't like he wasn't himself in the series. And then instead of like trying to incorporate him more. Um, you know, and try to like get him like, you know, like you run cross screens around the baseline, like little flex plays to get him open looks around the rim. Just to see the ball go through the hoop. Didn't do any of that. And then, you know, it was just like, it was just a high, high post or like high, um, you know, high passer out of the post with like hard screens for, for, for Van Vliet and, uh, and Lowry cutting around. And it was that to the point where it was like, you really have four offensive players who are a threat and then Gasol. And he wasn't even looking at the rim. And then it got it got that bad, um, so that was one area. I thought one thing that he did that was also poor was he um, initiated, um, you know, he, he he initiated Siakam way too um, w- way too far, like a, like a, like above the break. Siakam, from, from what I've observed, is better when you when you're giving him like a look on the wing, mm-hmm. and you know it's like a bigger defender or it's like something that's like a little bit below the three point line, but it's not like he's just trying to like create off the dribble, outside going in, and as we saw in this series, his, his handle's too loose. He was turning the ball over a lot. If guys, if guys like caught him, um, you know, on a drive, it was tough, um, and he was struggling there, and as a result. It all, you know, it, he just had a terrible, terrible series. Turnover took him out of rhythm. Now we do have Jason Blevins joining us, um, our ah. Sixers, our Sixers insider. Jason, can you hear us? Guess Jason, not. Jason cannot hear us. Okay, we'll run um, that back. <laughs> I'll run that back. Okay, so um, like, like what I, what, what, what I. Um, saw with that was like Siakam couldn't get it in the rhythm. And then every time there was like a, either a miss and like a way a miss that was way, way off or with a turnover and he just couldn't get anything going at all. And um, I thought they took him out of the series pretty well, Boston. And so I, I felt like they initiated um, Siakam way too high in the, in the offense. Like it was above, it was like above the arc when he's not this isolation guy that can naturally score, you know, from the perimeter. He, mm-hmm. He's he's a guy who is more of like a, off ball movement, catch and shoot from three, but he's not going to like dribble and hit step back threes like Tatum can hit and like and like, and like sidestep things. Exactly. I, I was going to say the thing with Siakam is that in the half court, he's kind of a one dimensional player in that he has a jump shot, but he doesn't necessarily have a go to move. So he can operate in the post well, but against a team like Boston, with so many guys that can defend one through five and offensively, guys that can score at will one through four. If Pascal Siakam doesn't show up and add that three-point shooting, it's just not enough. You, you can't afford to trade twos for threes every single possession. So Van Vliet and, and Lowry tried their best to carry that load, but Siakam offensively, I agree with you, Austin, was game-planned for and, and taken out of the series. But also defensively, he didn't have a good series. There's only one game you can look to in this entire series where Pascal Siakam did okay. And, and even at that – he was 2 of 11 from 3. Defensively, Jason Tatum shot almost 40% versus Siakam, and Marcus Smart made over half of the shots. So considering both of them did that and they both made 50% of their more, 50% or more of their threes against Siakam, it just wasn't a great series. It's fun for him to forget, uh, but one he'll, he'll definitely grow from. And 
I see Jason is back on cam. So speaking of Jasons, we have we have our Jason. We have Jason Blevins of the Painted Lines and 973 ESPN. Yeah, Jason, how's so. your connection? How's your connection? Better than it was? Okay. I, I see you're in the passenger seat. <laughs> I am in the passenger seat. Very good. There's, the wife is driving. There we go. Very good. Her car. Very good. Uh so I think uh, Siakam is a huge disappointment, and Toronto should definitely trade him for Al Horford. I think that seems right. I like it. Sounds good to me. <laughs> so, Jason, we, we. I mean, huge, huge disappointment, right? It was a terrible you series. We can't carry a franchise. Terrible series for Siakam. It was horrible. It was horrible. Yeah, so maybe to, Tobias Harris should take over. Listen, Tobias Harris would hundred percent Tobias Harris under under uh, under uh, Nick Nurse going to be a multi-time All Star. We all know it's coming. That that player development, no doubt no, no about it in my mind. Um, so Jason, we this week, you know, Keith Pompey comes out with, uh, you know, it looks like one of Ned Cohen and Alex Rucker is going to be, be be heading out soon. Um, what what what's the 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 vibe that you get in terms of like where the front office moves are going to be, and then like whether that whether it's a bottom up or top down approach with the coach first followed by front office, or you know how how do you think that, that that's going to play out? What does the timeline look like for that? Yeah, I think that's a great question, and I don't totally have the answer. I think that um, I don't know that they've completely abandoned the, the analytics approach. I think there are certain things that, mm -hmm. from an analytics standpoint, that the entire league has learned. And the math is all there. It's trilogy, but Texas Hold'em, the math is the math. And yeah. then once everyone at the table knows the math, it then becomes again about learning the game and learning to play against the players. Mm -hmm. And I think we've gotten to that point in the NBA where the shots are clear. Everyone knows it. The coaches know it. The front office knows it. Uh, there are no secrets anymore. So the utility of an Alex Rucker, for example, uh, is diminished. And there are no secrets anymore. There are no more secret algorithms in a spreadsheet. And as much as I like math, there's a point where everyone <laughs> knows the math and it becomes a human game again. And I think we're reaching that point in, in the sport where it becomes again about the the um the core Leonard's just forgetting them because of that Elton is looking for people that are prepared for that next stage. Oh yeah, no, I mean I I think that I think that makes a lot of sense, and I, I think they're 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 trying and scanning the landscape for like basketball oriented people um do you think like there's like a, a world where you know assuming Ty Lue is the next head coach of the team which I think that's sort of the 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 indication that that, that we get at this point do you think he think Ty Lue would bring in like an assistant coaching staff that is more like well-known coaching names or 
former players that have recently retired from the game? Well, I think what you need is people that have the credibility to kick your two stars in the ass and mm-hmm. have those stars listen and not retract. So you need people that um, those guys grown up respecting and that can say things that are really critical and really harsh in a way that doesn't make them retreat into their camp. So when you say like a Chauncey Billups, right? That's a name that's brought up a lot. Um, you look at when he when he was really uh, a credible person in the league with some influence. Um, does a Ben Simmons who grew up with this this game uh, really respect uh, the call out that he gets? And then uh, Joel Embiid, who's really only had this game in his life for about 10 years or so, does he listen and can he take that criticism? Um, I think that's that's the key. And and look, these guys are no longer those young, huge upside prospects. These are these are guys that are young men that need to start hearing the um, the critical truths like. Look, I'm not your babysitter. Brett Brown is gl- is gone. It's no longer uh, kindergarten. It's time to tell you that you need <laughs> to get your shit together. And who are those guys that can say that in a way where they don't turn off a young superstar who's got a $100 million contract? So the Chauncey Billups, the Ty Lue, those guys are the kind of guys that can, that can say those things, I think, in my opinion. More so than a um, maybe a coach like a Dave Yorger or a Billy Donovan, even who have who have just been coaches. Um, so I, I think there's there's real value to an ex-player who can who can talk shit with the best of them and uh, really call these guys out. Yeah. Um, so going off of that. And seeing as though like Ben Simmons is a clutch guy, Ty Lue is a clutch guy, it seems as though the Sixers are kind of morphing into the Cleveland Cavaliers, but with cheesesteaks. Um, and so, let me ask you this: Do you think there's like a chance that like a, a Richard Jefferson or a, a or someone like um, like a Channing Fry could be on the market or could be in the equation? Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you bring both of those guys in? You, you look at Jefferson and some of the the breakdowns that I've seen from him over the last few weeks, you know, he, he gets the role of a modern big man. I, I think he does. I think he understands how a big man should move within a possession off the ball. And then a Channing Fry, obviously you have a, a highly accomplished intellectual stretch five. So why wouldn't you bring guys like that in versus like, you know, some of the guys that Ty Lue has had as assistants in the past. Like, bring those guys that were 34, 36 as players when he, when Ty Lue was winning championships. Those are exactly the kind of guys I think you should have on your bench. For sure. Uh, talking with Jason Blevins of the Painted Lines and of 97, or no, 97.3 SPN. Um, so, Jason, one last question about the coaching staff. So, Billy Donovan becomes available this week, and um, 
you know, obviously every, all the fans are like, oh, this this guy from Oklahoma City, they kind of overachieved this year, um, even though they were, you know, a, a very well-built team, I thought, uh, you know, look, as, te- as the season went along. Do you think that there's, like, a conversation still about who the coach is going to be, or do you think it's just sort of like you're waiting for, like, the, 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 the you know, final events to take place, like certain teams getting eliminated before they, you know, announce the decision's already been made? Is it just between the three of us, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> just between the three of us. I mean, I think this decision was made five months ago. Yeah, so do I. Okay. It, okay. So Billy Donovan lost his job. Billy Donovan had James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and Kevin Durant all on the team. I think he had them all on the same team. That wasn't a Scott Brooks team. Maybe it was. Uh, I, I, think, I think Harden was with Scott over. Brooks. And he then I think over in 2015, but, I think. Okay. But, but, Donovan, but Donovan still had KD and, and Russ. All right. So let's let's say that he had those two guys and and he doesn't have a championship. And then let's look at Scott Brooks and what has he done since he moved on from that trio. Do you want Scott Brooks 2.0 in Philadelphia? What has Billy Donovan really done aside from win a national championship with Al Horford in Florida? So Billy Donovan, to me, connects to an Al Horford connection, which means what exactly are you doing? Are you changing <laughs> anything? Or are you just saying, yeah, the Al Horford thing just didn't work out because Brett Brown's a, an idiot? No. To me, no. That doesn't make sense. So... I mean, I think what you really have to do is you have to step back and you say, okay, you've got two superstars that haven't accomplished what you want them to accomplish. What is, who is the guy that can deal with superstars and really take them to that next level? And what are the chances that Billy Donovan is that guy versus Ty, Ty Lu? I mean, I wouldn't take that chance. I would take the Ty Lu. And I think that the, the organization has felt that way since February. Wow. I mean, I don't it's, know. it's my take. I don't know if you guys saw this, but Sports Illustrated just published something three days ago or four days ago. And uh, Howard Beck from Bleacher Report indicated that Mike D'Antoni, um, barring getting fired, would not plan to, but would hope to end up back in Philadelphia as a former assistant. So what do you guys think the likelihood is? <laughs> That Mike D'Antoni is a candidate for head coach. I think I think fans would hate that. I don't know what that would look like uh, after watching I, okay, experiment. So here's here's I was in the I was in the building, Wells Fargo Center, the night Jerry K, uh, Colangelo was announced. Mm-hmm. They played the San Antonio Spurs, and one of his first moves was to bring. Um, a couple of things he did. He brought in uh, Ish Smith. Yeah. And he brought in Mike D'Antoni. And franchise changing moves right there. <laughs> well, I mean, D'Antoni has a philosophy. You right. know, seven Running seconds gun. or less. Yeah. How does that fit with Joel Embiid? Mm-hmm. So now are you moving on from Joel Embiid? Yeah. You wouldn't. You right. wouldn't. It doesn't make any sense to me. 
But plus, like, I, I, you don't have the three-point shooting. Like if they, if the Sixers came out and shot sixty threes per game, I think fans would go into a, a, a frenzy. I mean, they're not making the, the, the this team makes seventeen of sixty from three would be a hold be on. This team, these fans couldn't deal with Robert Covington shooting nine threes in a game yeah. where he made three of them. They yeah. couldn't deal with that on a single game basis. <laughs> Yeah, it wouldn't work. I, I don't see how that works. So I think we're all in agreement, Jason. You you you, you think it's going to be Ty Lue. I think we all think it's going to be Ty Lue. I think it's going to be Ty Lue. I'll be shocked if it's anything other than Ty Lue. I mean, I, I'm not saying I've been fed official, but I'm saying that 10 days ago when... Um, John Johnson. Our, yeah, John Johnson, our friend. A great guy, great kid. Yeah. Like, this is a real this is a, a professional in our industry said it was all but a bun, uh, done deal. And then two seconds later revoked it. It's obviously a PR thing that they're like, hey, like, yeah, shut, they shut up. Yeah. They, but come on. I've been yeah. hearing Ty Lue on background since, gosh, I can't even tell you, mm -hmm. January, February. Right. You know? Yeah. And I, I will tell you that it's, it's, I don't even think it's a secret that Brett Brown was almost fired after the Toronto series oh, yeah. in 2019. So I don't think that I'm breaking news by no. saying it almost happened last summer. And we're, we're 15, 16 months after that. So why are we even surprised? Right. Come on. Yeah. That's a good point. Like, let me ask you this. So like, if like, let's say they introduced Ty Lue last summer and he's the new head coach. Do you think he can convince Ben to like live with the off ball role and then maybe you keep around Jimmy Butler? Oh boy. No, I don't think so. Cause I, I think there really are clicks in the NBA. I think there are management clicks, media clicks. Mm -hmm. I think the, the clutch group is very powerful. Yeah. And I don't think that works. I don't think you make that work. Um, and look, Jimmy as the alpha of the Miami Heat. Look, if he have, if he pulls this off with Tyler Harrow and Bam and wins a championship, we can say all we want about the bubble being like a different type of gym. But like that's amazing. However, oh yeah. However. That is uh -oh. not a strategy for a franchise. So if you own a billion-dollar asset, $2 billion asset, you're not putting that money behind a 30-year-old Jimmy <laughs> Butler in the hopes that he becomes the alpha of all alphas and you put a bunch of Duncan Robinson and Tyler Harrow's around him and suddenly they become, like, insanely confident uh MAGA level delusional shooters that just don't miss anything. Like that's not a strategy. It's it's working. It's great. It's awesome. And I I kind of hope they beat the Celtics. But I would never, if I was running a company, would never bank on that strategy. I just wouldn't. Yeah, and I I, I think like so like and and you know I think so many Heat fans they want it that that they. They see what what happens this year with with, with this team, and you know I, I think, and that isn't to say that like what Duncan Robinson is is, is doing isn't like unbelievable, and like he's like you know he he's his his improvement is very real, 
and Adebayo's improvement is very real. Tyler Harrow's rise is very real. But you're you, you're asking guys like 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 what if this is just like a one season thing, and then they and then and then you know defenses figure them out next season, or you know you really have time to sit and digest what they did this season and game plan. Um, you know, I, I if if, it, if this is the, something that they can do for like multiple seasons, and then like hey, you have something really really good going here, and this is something you can build around going forward. But I, I don't know that like you know. They, 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 if they win it all this year, great. But if if going forward, if, if they don't bring in a guy like like a Giannis or another star, I I think it's hard to sort of be so confident that yes, we can rely on Tyler Hero, um, Adebayo, and Duncan Robinson to be you know like this unconscious going forward every year. I mean, really, what are you proud of? You're proud of this fact that. Your state has no uh, salary wage tax. Oh my God! Here we go. Uh, this is unbelievable. That, no, I mean honestly, like you're proud of the fact that your climate is semi-Caribbean. You're proud of, like, what are you proud of as a Heat fan? Are you proud of the fact that your fans don't show up until midway through the <laughs> second quarter? Like, this who is the unbelievable. Fuck are, Heat fans, like what? What are you proud of? You're attracting guys that want a um, a very easy, off the clock lifestyle with no state taxes. Okay, good job, nice. You've really struggled as a fan, and you've earned a championship. You fucking got Jack to come there. For what? Because Shaq is smart, and he didn't want to pay. He didn't want to pay wage tax. Big fucking deal. You got <laughs> all of your all of your championships are based Put that on, on the tax rate of a state. So if you live in that state and you also benefit from those taxes, okay, fine. But you're what? What you 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 managed to attract? Pat Riley from the Lakers, Showtime Lakers, big fucking deal. Who cares? Wow. Like, what oh, did you earn? You earned nothing. You know what? Oh, man. I root for fan bases versus teams, obviously. I, this is no secret. But a fan base earns something by sticking with a team for decades when they get nothing in return. So as much as I can critique the Eagles' uh, front office, the Eagles fans dealt with nothing in return, you know, heartbreak for decades, and they stuck with it. A Heat fan has earned nothing; they oh. they deserve nothing. So, Damn. Damn. and if they don't win, if they don't win a championship this year by squirting through this bubble bullshit, every. <laughs> Above average shooter becomes Steph Curry because Steph Curry's not there. Steph Curry would be shooting 60% from 28 foot. That I agree with. That I agree with. Fuck yeah. He'd be scoring infinite numbers of points to just win games. So in, uh, uh, enjoy Duncan Robinson in the bubble. Wow. Well, then, 
fans are there and you have a different background to the to the rim backward every night and your team now has an aging Jimmy Butler whose entire leadership strategy is beating down the egos of the people on his team. And when he has people that don't submit to that overemphasized ego and they step up to him and they're not happy with it, then what exactly do you have? You have a broken down six foot eight negative wingspan guy surrounded by a bunch of other negative wingspan guys who aren't entirely motivated because there's 20,000 people rooting against them suddenly in a, in a, in a gym. So enjoy the bubble. I hope you make it and I hope you beat the Celtics. Good job. I hope you make it all the way to the finals. Kawhi Leonard can rip the heart right out of your chest. Kawhi Kawhi Leonard doesn't give a fuck about Jimmy Butler and his baller ass attitude. I was in Toronto. I was in there for the entire series. I went to Philly, all the games in Philly, and all the games in Toronto, and Kawhi Leonard doesn't give a fuck because he's a robot, and he tore Jimmy Butler's heart right out of his chest, and he tore Jimmy Butler's brain right out of his skull. Wow. <laughs> imagery right there. You know what's crazy about that, Jason? And Austin, this is your, Ooh, your own damn fault. Wow. We <laughs> took B2 MB notes for the first time before our podcast, for the first time, <laughs> to be completely prepared for the full hour. And not <laughs> once on this note sheet is the Miami Heat or Jimmy Butler mentioned. And yet for the past 10 minutes, it's all we've been talking about. This has been a very fun podcast. He can't leave the heat alone. Oh, this is great. I don't give a a shit about If you root for a a team in a city you've never traveled to, (laughs) like, honestly, like, if you can't afford a hotel room on South Beach, I don't give a fuck about you. Don't root for the team. I've been to, I've spent many, 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 many weeks working in Miami. I know Miami. They don't give a shit about the heat. They don't give a shit about the Marlins. Look at the Marlins and their, their, and their attendance. No one gives a fuck about it down there. So why are you sitting in West Virginia or upstate PA or wherever the fuck you are giving a shit about the heat? They don't care about you and the, the people in Miami don't give a shit about the heat. If they did, they would show up on time for the fucking games. Damn. Jesus. So what are we talking about? Damn. What a mercenary activity over here. I love it. Um, the one thing about the heat that would concern me going forward is like, okay, so this year, Jimmy Butler's, you know, his whole mindset and his way of, of, of working, it's successful this year because you have a lot of guys on this team that are unproven or are rookies and they're young. What happens when they have agents telling them, you know, like, hey, you're better than this. You're, you know, like, don't take shit from him. You know, like, I, I, I think this relationship can be, I guess, beat up a little bit if these guys start to realize that, that you know, like, they're not just rookies and, like, low-level role players anymore. These are established guys who could be playing, you know, for a lot of money with the heat or elsewhere. And that's when I think Butler could have some issues with the chemistry right now. It's working great because these are guys that are all just trying to get food on their plates. They're brand new to this stuff. They're unproven. They're developing. What happens when 
they get a little bit of ego themselves and they don't like it when Jimmy's telling them how to be, cause they've won, you know, because they've, you know, they, they have an, an agent telling them like, you're better than this. That's when right. I think you could have a problem. I think you're exactly right. He's right in that sweet spot of being a, a vet who is good enough to lead by example um, for the most part. And also uh, he's just, he's right in that Venn diagram of still being able to carry a team and say, look, I was a second round draft pick or I was the end of the first round and I came from nothing and I built myself. Um, when he came to Philadelphia and when he went to Minnesota, he was around a lot of top three draft picks who um, that message didn't resonate with. Uh, but he's going to get exposed to his limitations. And he does have limitations. And look, he's under no obligation to tell us about his limitations. Yeah. Why would he? Why would any of us volunteer our limitations, right? We call it humility, but in sports, like, that's – vulnerability is not a thing you want to show in sports. Vulnerability is the kind of thing you want to show in art and in music when you need to draw an audience in. But vulnerability is not something you want to want to show. But he came to these, these other situations where he had – in Minnesota, he had two number one draft picks. Um, and he basically beat those guys down mentally and emotionally. Uh, and in Philadelphia, everyone knows. I mean, I don't think this is a secret. But he would come in and tell us what a hard worker he was and then not show it in the practice facility. So you have a Ben Simmons who's not seeing someone who taught. And Ben Simmons is a not someone great with a quote, doesn't tell us anything more than he has to, but works his butt off in the practice facility. Uh, so, so Ben Simmons does work hard is what you're saying. Yeah, he works hard. I mean, I you know, he needs someone to scream in his face, shoot it. Just as any of us would go on a court, we're running five on five pickup and we see a guy that doesn't want to shoot the ball, we're going to pick them up at the three-point line and yell in their face, shoot it. He needs a coach that's going to yell in his face. Right. Um, he didn't want to hear that from Jimmy. That's probably what Jimmy was doing. As what, what anyone that's a big shit talker would do. I don't I don't really blame Jimmy, but if, if an organization is forced to choose between a 30-year-old and a 23-year-old, you, you obviously choose the, the 23-year-old. For okay. sure. Now he goes to, to Miami, and this is my biggest issue. Why do we know he showed up for practice at 3.30 a.m.? Because Chris Haynes said it, and because Chris Haynes is... Why does Chris Haynes know? Because he told Chris Haynes. Of course. So Jimmy Butler is out there telling people that he came to practice at 3.30 a.m. So what is that? What is that? So don't tell me you're a, a blue-collar, lunch-pail guy, and then leak to the media that you're at the practice facility in the off hours. Big fucking deal. Come on. And then <laughs> I've I've personally seen this guy crack open a case of wine in the locker room. I've seen it happen. 
Okay. So now it's 9.30 p.m., 9.45 p.m. after a game and you're cracking open a case of wine for you and, and J.J., and you're going to tell me you're up at 3.30 a.m. at the practice facility. Well, how – look, how do I know your state of mind or your blood alcohol level at 3.30 a.m. when you showed up at the, at the uh, practice facility? Did you, you get a guy to drive you in your minivan? Oh, you love to ride around in minivans. What a man of the people. <laughs> so what are you telling me? What are you telling me? Listen, he could have been pulling a Rodman. He could have gone to the practice facility, got, had his little party there, and then worked at 3.30 in the morning. Who knows? Um. Rodman was in. We all saw the last dance. Rodman was flying to Vegas in between games and the finals. What That's are exactly you right. About? Exactly right. Talking with Jason Blevins of the Painted Lines at 97.3 ESPN. Uh, Jason, last question I have is we're getting close to the draft time where people are starting to, you know, start to think about that more. And, you know, uh, Shams and Woe just kind of, you know, that they, they this week they said that they're going to start that process and with like virtual, you know, meetings and whatnot. Um, are you hearing anything about like, you know, like, like what they're going to be targeting in the draft and like, and like any kind of prospects that, that they're looking at? All right, answers answers you know, that answers that question. I think they have a, they have a front office to rebuild, they have a coaching staff to rebuild, and they have a one of two contracts they need to get off of. So if they they have a number of second round picks, they have a a, fir, a late first. Um, they've clearly pivoted away from the moonshot young prospects. Um, <laughs> I'm looking at the comments. He sees the message. <laughs> your your DMs, your your DMs are gonna be packed in a in a, in a little bit. Oh, um, from Heat fans. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're gonna kill you. They're Beat gonna be all the over. Celtics. Good. Good fucking job. Beat the Celtics. <laughs> um, Marcus Smart is gonna own your fucking ass. Okay, Whoa. Marcus Smart is going to dig up in your ass and own all of you. So just be prepared for an actual dog Marcus. to come at you and actually dig up in your ass. Because there ain't no Marcus Smarts on the Milwaukee Bucks. Marcus or, on the, or on the Pacers. <laughs> or on the Pacers. Or the Pacers. Marcus Smart is coming to take souls. There we go. Brock, any questions for, 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 uh, for Jason? Uh, none for me. I, I think you hit the nail on the head with what I wanted to know. <laughs> Fantastic. Jason, last, last question. Uh, I just did a mailbag today for, for the Painted Lions about uh, uh, one question was about Tobias and, and Horford. What do you see as the market being for either of them right now? Uh, I can see a number of teams, probably five or six teams that could convince themselves that building an offense around the structure uh, and the intellect of Al Horford makes sense for them to move from the sort of early prospect stage to the mature sort of next level where you're ready to make the playoffs. I could see five or six teams that uh, live in that space, uh, including Sacramento. Maybe, Austin, did you post sort of a scenario with Sacramento? No, I think it was Brian, actually. Yeah, um, yeah I don't do the tra- he, I don't do the trade stuff. <laughs> he didn't connect, yeah, he didn't connect the dots, but Basically, what he was saying was 
uh, he was throwing out a, a, a scenario where Sacramento was a trade partner. Um, Tobias Harris is a culture builder. He is a strong uh, locker room guy. I've seen it. He is the kind of guy that will build your, let's say, 10th through 15th man into professionals from prospects to professionals. Um, so I can see him. He'd be great in Miami with the culture. No. No, it's not a fit for him. But um, he is the kind of guy that I could see franchises convincing themselves. Uh, but I think that I could see Horford moving, attached with some picks. Um, it really comes down to what is the defensive philosophy of your next head coach? Do they believe in the drop pick and roll coverage? Do they want to hedge? Do they want to blitz? Um, what kind of cliff are they willing to fall off of when Embiid leaves uh, the floor? You know, the, the big thing with uh, Horford was the cliff that the Sixers defense fell off of every time he walked off the floor in 2019. That was real, um, but it was philosophical. Um, so... Those are the kind of choices they need to make. Um, Horford plays a totally different style of defense, and I don't think it fit with Brett Brown whatsoever. Um, but does a new coach sort of have a more flexible philosophy where as this position group is on the floor, we play this style, but when we have this other package um, of core players, we play a different style. Uh, Brett was very much by the spreadsheet. He coached by the spreadsheet, drop, pick, and roll, you know, in 2018, 2019, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, it was switch one through four, drop, pick, and roll. Um, this past year, it was a little bit different in the pick and roll coverage on the point of attack with Ime Odoka, but they, they kept with that sort of drop pick and roll with the soft mid-range. Um, what does that next coach believe in? What are they willing to live with? And clearly in the bubble, the uh, the soft zone in the, the 16 through 20 foot uh, area was just, it's just too easy to get used to and knock down those shots. Like Toronto. Yeah, I mean, I mean yes. Right? Yeah. So, yes. Um, there's clearly a balance and a reset for what you're willing to live with and die with. And Brett died with the 20 foot pull up. Um, the next coach is going to have to put a stamp on what they believe in. And if, if they are a believer in Embiid and their ability to put a backup with him, um, then they're going to attach picks to Horford to move on from that and get someone else that can dribble and shoot and do the other things. Gotcha. Jason, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for coming by. Thanks, guys. Take care. Jason right, Blevins. <laughs> Jason oh, Blevins of 97 through the uh, ESPN and uh, the Painted Lines. Yeah, Brock, what's up? <laughs> I love Jason to death. I love Jason. But 
I don't want to associate with the Miami Heat hate. I don't want to say it's a guilty pleasure of mine enjoying watching the Heat play, but I actually think the Heat are a really good ball team, and I believe in their culture. I, I buy that. Uh, and Jay Crowder had a quote on ESPN, I believe, or whoever was interviewing him the other day, where he talked about the culture and, and how it's real. It's it's not a myth that people go to Miami and, and maintain. There's a real culture in place there. There's a real player development in place there. There's accountability there. It's why Josh Richardson is still talking about it and longing for it two years after he departed there. Uh, based on Miami's draft history in the previous five to ten years, I don't think they're going to strike out with Hero. I don't think they're going to strike out with Dunk. I don't think they're going to strike out with Kendrick. I think they're going to nurture them really well. I think they always draft well. And I think here's another important factor. The more players publicly speak about this culture and this bubble, players are going to want to play in Miami. So Jason talked about the tax, right? That's a big thing. I've always said massive, 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 massive. I've always said if I played in a professional sport, I would want to play in either Texas or Miami because of that. And, And also I think, this is something that matters. The pl- these players are in the bubble right now, cooped up in Miami with their women, if they brought their women, their kids, whoever they may be with. They if might Dan, be if, the if, if you're Dan House, you're just pulling anybody if out you're of the Dan House, <laughs> you're asking without a wife or kids now. You're, you're going to have to find another one of them. But um, I, I think players might experience the weather and, and maybe the camaraderie in my – I don't know what they're going to experience in the bubble, but I think it could have a factor in free agent decisions. And uh, we don't know how the, the salary cap will be impacted by COVID-19. So I think Miami is going to stay a pretty hot free agent destination. And I think they're going to be good for a pretty long while. I think they actually have one of the best young cores in basketball. So I wanted to let our, our Miami Heat fans and our viewers out there know that I don't stand with the Miami Heat hate. Uh, while I understand where Jason is coming from, uh, that's not my stance. So I, I don't want to be ratioed. I don't Brock, want to be Brock, Brock, Brock. I, I like Brock, the Miami Heat. Brock should absolutely be exempt from the yeah, Heat hate. And I've already been tortured enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, so leave me out of it. I didn't expect him to go that hard with the Heat stuff. I didn't think that was coming. But it was fun, though. Was in fun. fact, our guy Philly Heat tweets out, hashtag Heat Twitter. So you know they're going to see this. Oh, man. Unite and listen to this clown, Jabe Levin's NBA, spill BS out of his mouth about the Heat. Note, he's a 76ers insider, so have compassion for his soul having to cover such an inferior franchise. Wow. At Krell TPL, at Landis Brock, you can do better than this idiot. And then they tag five reasons why sports, uh, which is like a network down there in, in, in Florida and Miami. Um, so I guess, Brock, close your DMs. <laughs> Uh, it's about to be. Swear to God, <laughs> oh, God, bro. I swear to God. I, I look at the notes, right? We have a notes page. I said, I did not see Miami Heat. I didn't see Jimmy Butler. Yeah, not- None of that. We're here talking about what the hell's wrong with people living in Miami. I'm like, come on, bro. I didn't say anything about the Heat. I just, I, I, just, I didn't say anything about the Heat. I just yeah, brought up a question. You brought up Jimmy Butler. That's where you went wrong. All I said was, is there a chance he could have stayed if they if 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 they bring in Ty Lue and he can convince Ben to go off ball? And then it was all it was all a, yeah. a slander well, fest from there. It, it, I was listen. I was I am innocent in this whole thing. I don't want any of this to be to be out there. Well, no. But here we are. We're on it's a live show. Matrix. We got. We were dealt that card. So uh, we we only have about ten minutes left, Austin. So uh, let, let's try to jump into Houston and Los Angeles. There you go. 
So uh, the talking point I wanted to hit. So oh, one last thing, Mike Small chimes in on, on Facebook. Sure. Uh, what do you guys think the chances are that the Sixers bring in someone with above Elton Brand, someone with credibility like Daryl Morey? I actually heard that Daryl Morey could be had for the right price. Um, and not just with the Sixers, but like any franchise. So like he's not exactly in love um, with with like like it isn't like I guess the, the perfect marriage in Houston anymore. He, he's kind of tired of it. Uh, from is something that I've heard. We're <laughs> already wrong. Oh, oh man. <laughs> um. Oh man. Dorian, uh, uh, yeah. Just, just mute your phone. Um. <laughs> But yeah, I think there's a chance that 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 uh, Masai and and Mori could be available for the right price. Um, but I think it's a pretty significant steep offer that they'd have that any franchise would have to make from them. Um, now let's talk about the, the 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 Rockets and the Lakers and then Denver and and, and uh, the Clippers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of weird that Russell Westbrook the other night makes three threes, only commits three turnovers. And yet the Rockets are thoroughly outplayed. Like you'd think that in a game where the Rockets are losing, there's probably a pretty positive correlation between Russ chucking and missing shots from the perimeter, like five, six turnovers. Rockets lose by twelve. Like Russ played pretty well. Harden shot like thirteen percent from the field. Yep. And the problem with James Harden in this series is that he's having a really tough time adjust to the Lakers' adjustments. So uh, while he's still turning in almost a sixty-six percent true shooting percentage. He has more playoff series historically shooting under 40% from the field than he does over 45%. So this is just another series where he's struggling to hit shots, but he's shooting such a high volume. His offensive rating fell from 114 in the regular season to 107 against the Lakers. And the reason because is that he's so easy to defend. And I don't mean that in the sense where you can defend him, but he's the easiest player to find on the court. He's not hard to find, and this is something Kobe Bryant talked about a couple of years ago as to why this formula can't win a championship, and this is exactly why. So the first night, the Lakers in Houston come out, and Los Angeles gets punched in the mouth, and why is that? It's because they had a center on the floor with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and the Lakers made a proper adjustment. So with another center on the floor, it's counterproductive because – You have a guy, let's say JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard, in the dunker spot. Now, this makes life harder for LeBron James or Anthony Davis, any man in a two-man game rolling or driving to the basket because the defender on the player in the dunker spot can intercept a pass. They could step up, get in front of the drive. So it just clogs things, having a player in the dunker spot. There's less to worry about defensively. But now Los Angeles sees that a player like James Harden is going to stand at half court if he's not involved, so it's a four-on-five offensively. And what are we going to do in the screen? So what they do is they take a center off of the floor, they move Anthony Davis to the five, and they put LeBron where he belongs. And it's been it's been history because what they do now is they'll double-team James Harden aggressively and pick him up right away. And if Anthony Davis switches onto James Harden, they're okay with having that. Whereas you may have a JaVale McGee on James Harden where it's a mismatch. Anthony Davis is a very capable defender. He's one of the best in the league. So the fact that he can stick with this dude, James Harden, who's cooking up all of the time, is incredible for Los Angeles. So now you have Anthony Davis defending James Harden. You don't have to double team when Anthony Davis is defending Harden. And whereas James Harden usually makes his money in the pick and roll, 
he's been struggling to do that. And that's because with these doubles or Anthony Davis, he can't hit the short roll, man. There's a lot of length around yeah. the perimeter for Los Angeles. So he can't hit the short roll, man. And even if he does, right, it's Jeff Green and Austin Rivers setting screens. It's not Clint Capella. And, two tremendous and, op op options right there. <laughs> exactly. That's the reason why Alex Caruso and Kyle Kuzma are holding opponents to under 25% from the field on isolations this series. Because the players that are isolating are Alex or uh, uh, Austin Rivers and Jeff Green. You know, so for Los Angeles, when you can get Anthony Davis to defend James Harden and, and switch on him, that's huge. When you have Anthony Davis defending Russell Westbrook, not even respecting the three, and, and Russell Westbrook can't hit it, that's huge because he can play help D now. So Los Angeles, uh, they adjusted after that first night, and I, I think this is a terrible look for Houston because they they, they look defeated, and I think this is going to conclude their their – What's the word I'm looking here? I'm era? Dynasty, but that's uh, – I guess their era, yeah. You'd have to win a championship to be a dynasty. Exactly, and they didn't <laughs> even sniff one. So I think this is going to conclude Houston's their, – their era. Uh, they have a lot of minimum contracts and, and – So you think so you think, that you think they get rid of Harden? I don't know if it's Harden, but, but listen, they have Eric Gordon, 31 years old, due for $16 million next season, 18 and 21, and then $19 million in 2022. To make matters worse, James Harden and Westbrook are both 31 as well, and they're going to be making 40 plus million through 2023. So I think if you're hearing rumblings that that Maury may be gone and D'Antoni may be gone, you definitely, you definitely have to assume that Houston's going to move on from either Russell Westbrook or James Harden. It just doesn't make sense to keep both of them on the contract. Sam Hinkie, welcome back. Yeah, the, the, the Sixers, ought to, Sixers ought to make a push for one of Tra them. He trades. He, he, he comes back, trades like two, like, like Harden for like two future firsts, and they turn into like number one overall picks. So what I, what I was going to ask, though, and that's funny you bring that up because I, I saw people talking about the Sixers maybe inquiring for like Eric Gordon or, or Robert Covington with Al Horford. What I was going to ask was, does this mean that small ball is dead? Did this prove that small ball can't work? Yes. No, 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 no. Actually, I think the exact opposite. So you I, think, what, what do you I think? think? I think we're going to start seeing this era where you have a lot of guys like Dan Tice and okay. then you have like wings and shooters, but the small ball is just so, so hard to defend. But yeah. like, like the Celtics are as far as they are after going away from Al Horford and Kyrie because they move the ball really well. They have a bunch of athletic wings that, that that buy into this concept of, you know, like making extra passes, sidestepping, you know, going around pick and rolls. And they don't have a big in the paint to clog things up. I mean, Tice lurks in the dunker spot from time to time, but he's mostly setting screens, high screens, yeah. and then popping out. I think we're going to see – I think we're going to see a lot more of, of teams like trying to find – these like minimal usage role-playing centers that can pop out and shoot threes guys like Nurkic, I think are going to be good for it. Um, you know, like Jokic has a good, has a good inside game too, but he's now stepping out a little bit. I think we're going to be more towards small ball. Yeah, that, that I agree with. I think that this experiment kind of proved that you need a big on the floor, uh, but small ball can work. Nonetheless, what Boston is doing is essentially small ball. Uh, Daniel Tice, like you just said, uh, a low usage center. And although he does have the height, uh, he doesn't play that traditional back to the basket role. He's not even a stretch, I would argue. He's more so just a fifth man on the floor that does a lot of little things to make the small ball 
uh, as effective as it is for Boston. So uh, Austin, I think that's direction. That's the direction uh, teams are going to move in. But I think going completely small, having no center is a long ways to go. You, you still need a lot more athletic guys for, for, for that to happen. Yeah. And but one thing that I think LA needs to do, which I think that they will do, is like Clippers, you, are, Clippers or Lakers. Sorry, Lakers. Lakers, Lakers, yes. Lakers, Lakers. Okay. If you notice, they're feeding AD on like a baseline yeah. side, and then he's going over over back to the left shoulder every time mm-hmm. to finish his to finish the shot. And the Rockets are sending hard, hard, hard help on the baseline side to sort of double team him as he shoots the ball. And it's worked a couple times. If he figures that out and it's like, Hey, I'm going to fake back to the shoulder, come back to my right and fire a pass opposite. Houston's going to be way out of position and they're going to be, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. And so mm-hmm. that's like a slight adjustment. I think Houston is going to have to prepare for, but if LA, but if AD just reads that pass and makes it to an open shooter, this series is done. It's cake. Something um, else, something else I saw too, uh, which Houston should have done, but, but they didn't. Uh, was utilize James Harden in the post. They didn't do that. That's yeah. that's a simple way to keep another man involved in the half court offense, and he's already deep enough where he doesn't have to penetrate, and he can make a pass. He's good. He's a good passer, so he can make a, a kick or an outlet pass from the post. But Houston hasn't done that. Yeah, they just kind of rolled over and died. And then there was this other play I wanted to talk about. I thought it was a brilliant, brilliant play. It was like game yeah. two or game three where they where the Lakers threw it out there, but it was like a they saw that the Rockets were switching on screens. And so they have AD set the high pick. So that way it's like someone way smaller um, yeah. on, on, on AD and he's posting up. And then the Rockets, cause they see that, okay, they have this, you know, they have like a, a small, a smaller guard trying to de- defend AD in the post. They're like much more aggressive and trying to help. So Davis like swings over one shoulder and the help comes immediately and then you have Kuzma or or Morris popping out to like a little like like, like free throw line extended area, yeah. and he's just giving coming right back to, to them, and they're wide open for jumpers. So it was like a little bit of like a uh, oh boy, <laughs> a little bit of he he Twitter is on notice now. No, <laughs> no. They're leaving me out of it. Thirteen oh bro. <laughs> I haven't checked my phone since the last time I showed you. Dog, just just mute the conversation. Just mute the conversation. <laughs> and this is exactly what I knew was going to happen. I didn't say a word that whole conversation, and I'm not going to cancel culture. Oh, man. But I got to like- do what Giannis did. Giannis unfollowed everyone in the Bucks. I got to I gotta unfollow everybody on Sixers Twitter now. Oh, boy. Everyone. Philly Heat says Haslam will be at Blevins' door soon. I don't think anyone knows where Blevins lives, so good luck with that, I guess. Oh All right. Oh, Philly, oh, we're, Philly, we're safe. We're exempt. I, I, hope, I hope you saw my little uh, model. We are safe. Jason departing. I don't, I like I don't want any part of this. I don't want any part of this. Fan. I've liked the Heat. I've never said any derogatory thing about Jimmy Butler or the Heat. I stayed out of Miami's way because I knew how good they are. And everybody was talking all this shit about the Miami Heat. They're not going to do this. Oh, Sixers fans said Jimmy Butler departed. Good luck in Miami being an eight seed. Well, he just beat the MVP. I never said that. Back-to-back reigning MVP. <laughs> and they're going to go to the second round. And I don't want to make any predictions because my predictions from the last round were pretty piss poor. But hey, I think they beat Boston. Hey, we don't, don't, don't talk about that. Nothing ever happened. 
Um, so we'll pray for Blevins. Um, now, Rock, did you have to go through an hour? Or can you, do you want to go a little longer? Talk with Clippers. Sure, man, I'll go longer. I'm already here. Sure. sure. Okay. Um, so the Clippers and, um, and Nuggets play last night. And the Clippers, like, just put, like, diarrhea on the court. Like, th- they were up 16 in the second quarter, and they let it slip away. And I, I, I was, I was thinking I would be shocked if that series goes more than five. And the Clippers just let the whole thing slip away. And I think like what the Nuggets are doing well is they're switching up the looks that they give to the Clippers. And I can tell they're doing that because I'm trying to like I'm like I, first thing when, I, when I'm watching a game, first thing I read is okay, what's the defensive alignment? Is it like a two-three? Are they running box and one triangle two, something like that? Just so I can see like, like how they're game planning for the best players. And then I look at like what they're doing one-on-one with that player when he has the ball in the hand. And they I, I couldn't figure out what they're doing with Kawhi because it was changing every time. And then I realized, oh, that's intentional. They don't want him to get comfortable with anything. And so they 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 were they were not giving him any looks. And it was kind of making his job a little hard and decision making a little harder. But you get down to like the last two minutes of that game. That's a it was a great great game in the second half, um, and Paul Millsap ignites them, and and Marcus Morris, you know, he and he and Morris go at it. Morris is the kind of guy lift his chin up, and then he just like doesn't actually do anything. Like he just sort of like jaws at you, but like it's like what there's nothing that's happening really in the con- in the conversation. Um, but you know that got Millsap going. He has like 14 points in in, in the third quarter, but I. I I like. I was so surprised, and I guess pleasantly surprised and excited, if you will, by Michael Porter Jr. in that game. Yeah. I thought. I thought he showed that he has the mentality to be a superstar in this league. He talks a big game. He's like, we're not. We're not giving anybody else involved. And I was ready to crush him because I was like, dude, who the fuck are you? Like, shut up. You're a rookie. You missed the entire season. You managed him. You managed to say every wrong thing at every turn. Literally <laughs> every wrong thing at every turn. And then he comes out, he buries this dagger three ball, deep one too, with a hand in his face, contested, comes back, blocks um uh Zubox at the rim, and then gets an, and then gets a rebound to clinch the, to, to clinch it. I mean, that kid came in there and proved himself last night, yeah. I thought. Yeah, his his ceiling is sky high, and it's unfortunate that he'll always be followed by hindsight throughout his career. Uh, people didn't draft him because of his back issues coming out of high school and college. So, of course, that's always going to follow him. But uh, Michael Porter Jr., he, he has an incredibly high ceiling. And, Austin, you hit the point perfectly. If you're going to talk about not getting shots, and, and he had 15 points early in, in the game after he made this comment. If you're, if you're going to talk about not getting shots and you need the ball and, and you need to get in a rhythm and players need to involve you, you damn sure better back it up. And Michael Porter Jr. did exactly that. I mean, up until the point where, where he came to the game and forth and, and actually made an impact, he had only gotten like three shots, I believe, uh, or or the three came in the fourth quarter. Uh, um, it's losing, it's slipping from my mind. But regardless, all of the work he did to contribute in, in the Nuggets win uh, came when it mattered the most in the fourth quarter. So uh, for MPJ, his ceiling is really high. He, he's got the clip from deep. Uh, he, he's He's a freak in terms of his build. He can defend multiple positions. So once he puts on a little bit uh, more muscle, he, he's going to be a problem. But the thing that I'm most impressed by with this series is just Kawhi Leonard in general. And I didn't really watch much of he's been unbelievable. 
He's been unbelievable. Unbelievable, exactly. I didn't watch much of Kawhi Leonard this year because I saw him all of last year and what he did. And I kind of blame Kawhi Leonard for my bad take last episode. I said that uh, (laughs) seven games and Denver wins in seven. Uh, But the reason I said that probably is because of how easily Kawhi Leonard beat the Dallas Mavericks. I forgot that the Clippers even existed for a couple of days. So I was being disrespectful to Kawhi Leonard, who I'd argue is the second best player in basketball. I think he's the best. Maybe even the the best, depending on the day. I think Giannis Uh, is a problem. I was thinking LeBron at number one, honestly. Oh, okay. Kawhi Kawhi over Giannis. Brock's Um, just trying to not be controversial. He doesn't want any any smoke from any of that. For for Kawhi, like, look at what he's done, man. 30 points per game in the playoffs on 52% shooting, nine rebounds a game, five assists, and two steals. And that's his standard. It's like you see that and you don't even think twice. He scored 29 or more every game in the Dallas series. He had a five-steal game. And in this series against Denver, he's already had two games with three steals and a game with four. Yeah. So it's just – it's unbelievable to see how he contributes because he really does everywhere. Uh, he's probably the smoothest basketball player I've ever seen in terms of just getting to his spots and maintaining composure and controlling pace. I mean, I even saw him last night defensively switch on to Nikola Jokic when he had to, and, and he was moving around. So yeah. uh, Kawhi Leonard is, is undoubtedly – a legend, in my opinion, and if he wins the finals this year, this is my hot take. If he yeah. wins the finals this year, I, I think he is the best basketball player of my generation. If he wins the championship this year, I think we put him in the NFL, MLB, NHL, and NBA Hall of Fames. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about all that, but I'll definitely <laughs> say – I think I honestly – the thing with LeBron is like I've grown so accustomed to LeBron being so dominant and great that I almost do take him for granted. Um, but the thing is like Kawhi Leonard is – I think his body of work is just as – if he wins the finals this year, I think his body of work is just as impressive as LeBron's. And the unfortunate thing is we live in a world where everything is a two-party, two-party split. You can't have Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James. You have to have one as a superior to the other. Uh, so I think if Kawhi Leonard was able to dethrone LeBron James in San Antonio as, as a kid, I think if he was able to take down that Golden State dynasty, and I think if Kawhi is able to also win a championship this year, which means he beats LeBron James probably, then he has to be considered for the best player in the game. Oh, yeah. I think he's by far the best player in the game. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you this, like last night I was watching a game and I'm thinking like, there's so much Kobe in him. There's so much Jordan. in yeah. him. And then I was like, but it's like an updated version of them. Like he's a sniper from, from <laughs> neither <laughs> of them. Are and, then I, and then it, and then it hit, hit me. Like it isn't that he's Jordan or Kobe too. It's that he's Kawhi one. Yeah. And that someone down the road is going to be like, we're going to be saying he's so much like Kawhi. Mm-hmm. And that's the track he's on. Like, like I, I think, and Colin Coward had this take a couple days ago. It was like he's already top five player in NBA history. And I mean, I, I would, I would say I don't know that he's top five, but I don't think I'd have him outside of my top fifteen. I mean, he is, he is unbelievable. You can't, you can't shake him. You can't rattle him. He's now become a better passer. 
his his entire game is almost like like what hole can you find there? And one last point that I had, and then I'll leave it to you to to wrap things up. Yeah, um, I'm starting to notice like just how good Pat Beverly is. There, Jokic keeps doing this thing where he'll like swing to do like the little shoulder fake, and he'll have his back at like the, he'll be like at the free throw line. He'll shake from like a shimmy shake, comes back. Beverly is anticipating. He already has the lane cheated. He is ripping the ball right out of his hands and it's flying by him. And it's like it's like you're waiting for Jokic's slow ass move. And then like 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 the uh, what's what's that that uh, that Roadrunner guy just comes flying right next to him, and it, he's already like he's already gone. Like like it's 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 ridiculous. And you're like he's so subtly good and sound that. And, he, and then he like jaws so much. He's always like talking about game. He is one of the more impactful players in the NBA who you just don't really see that much about, even like the box score. Yeah, those those endless motors, the the pests, the leaders, they they go unnoticed because what they do doesn't have sexy appeal for the national media. Um, but in terms of basketball, you need those guys on your team to win. Uh, th- these are these are chemistry building guys that will go to war for you that that players want when they go to war uh, that that really just don't make mistakes because they don't have the ball in their hand enough to make those mistakes they're not facility they're just dogs at the end of the day it's it's the Marcus Smarts the Patrick Beverly's the Kendrick Nuns the Montrez Harrells of the world that that go unnoticed but what they do is is super um, impactful and uh, my concluding point with Jamal Murray here I still think he is an NBA superstar, soon to be. Uh, but this is the Kawhi Leonard in, in Los really? Angeles. Yeah, yeah. This. What do you What are you saying, really? To like that, he'll be a superstar, soon to be. What? Yeah, what? I don't. I don't see it. I mean, I think he's going to be. He'll be a superstar. He'll be. A superstar. I think he'll be like a one to two time All Star. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah. I I think he's just inconsistent still. Okay, that's that's a that's a fair assessment to make. Um, I think I mean, Jamal Murray's going to be a superstar. I, I think he's he's a sniper. Um, historically speaking, uh, let me say this: Jamal Murray is putting on for the light skin community, and and there's been some, <laughs> some light skin hoopers. There's been some light skin goats, and I, I think Jamal Murray has the makeup to to be next in line there. Same with MPJ. Um, but but here's here's what's happening. Uh, whereas versus Utah, Jamal shot almost 55% from the field on jump shots, and he was 15 of 25 on pull-up threes. Uh, he's only shooting about 32% on jump shots, and he's hit 5 of 18 uh, pull-up field goals. Paul George is holding him to 5 of 20 so far throughout the series. And in the conference quarterfinals against Utah, Utah he drove to the basket 103 times. In the conference semifinals against the Clippers, half of that. 54 times. He's he's not encouraged to drive against this defense. He's been struggling to create against uh, the bigger and, and really, really good wings on Los Angeles. But um, I, I do think he will be a superstar. Nonetheless, my biggest takeaway from the series, other than uh, Nikola Jokic's nose always being bright red for some reason. Dude, it's that, ridiculous. It's so <laughs> weird. It is weird. It and is he, and he, he has the smoker arms, too. Yeah, <laughs> I love Nikola Jokic, bro. He's he's for the culture. I love so, Nikola. Jokic. Oh, here we go. Culture should be Miami. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, here's a question for you. Yeah, who has the better career when all is said and done, Jokic or Murray? 
Jokic. Jokic. <laughs> you had to wait, but then you go, oh, yeah, Jokic. No, he's like, <laughs> I had to think about what you said for a minute. I didn't even know who you were talking about. I'm like, is he saying? No. Well, Brock, any parting shots? Uh, no parting shots today. I think Jason did most of them for me. So I'm, I'm right. just hoping I'm exempt from this, uh, this this hellhole of Twitter later today. Speaking of, Jason text me, your Heat fan base is funny. <laughs> I replied, praying for you. He goes, oh, no, what will I do? Fuck him. <laughs> oh, Jason, Jason's, got the, Jason's got the wherewithal to kind got, of deal with the He's got the swag. He's got the swag. Yeah, All right, Brock, what, what are you up to this week? What do you got going besides school? Um, I'm, I'm going to try to pump out a video. I, I don't know if it's going to be NBA or NFL related though. Okay. Um, so is I'm it really, like independent off. of TPL or is it going to be a TPL video? Uh, well, everything I'm going to post now is going to go to TPL as well. Uh, cool. Everything's going to go to my YouTube and TPL. Cool. Um, but I, I just haven't decided what my next project is yet. I got to get back into scouting. going to try to dig up some more rumors, get some, you know, dig up some more information. Um, but yeah, other than that, just live in the same life you are. So, you know, I, you know, I'm don't, don't rush school by enjoy college. Cause pretty soon you'll be like me, your hair will be all frizzy and weird. And well, see, gonna, speak for be, yourself. I'm, I, the first part <laughs> I agree with the speak, speak for yourself, man. You're, you're going to be all, you're going to be like thinking like, why am I going to be alive for 50 more years, 60 more years? <laughs> the feet to never leaves me like optimistic when I'm done this podcast. We're talking about being washed up or, Get to 23 and you start to hit a slippery slope. Like, come on. I'm 20. Like, Brock, enjoy these young years. I look forward to what's next. My young son, enjoy these young years. Uh, he's Landis Brock on Twitter. You can find him in real life at your, lo- at his, at the, at your local barber getting his, uh, getting, getting the little uh, razors in the side. Yeah. Uh, you, you can call him Brock Landis. You can call me Austin, Austin Krell. Find me on Twitter at Krell TPL. As always, thank you for tuning in to Feed to Embiid and leaving your comments. We love engaging with you all. Uh, make sure to give us a subscription on Apple Pods. Leave us a uh, a rating or a five-star rating and a review. Um, and uh, take care, everybody. Enjoy football season being back. We'll be back next week for another episode of the Feed to Embiid. Take care, everybody. Have a good Saturday. Do you like shotgunning beer? Do you want to increase your shotgun time at parties? Check out my boys at the King Cobra. King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole under a second. There's also a tab puller, vent plunger, and all fits on a keychain. For more information about the King Cobra, check them out at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co. on Instagram, and Cobra is spelled with a K. For a 10% discount on all products, enter the code TRUSTACOBRA10, all caps, all one word. Pick up yours today. The feed to Embiid and its name are protected by U.S. copyright laws. Reproduction and distribution without my written permission is prohibited. Copyright the feed to Embiid 2020.